Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. This is Advent. Um, that means we are leading up to Christmas. And the word Advent actually means arrival or appearing or coming into place. And so when Christians speak of Advent, <coughs> excuse me, they're usually talking about the, the, the weeks leading up to celebrate the first arrival of Jesus <clears throat> at Christmas. And I thought this year we'd do something a little different. Instead of looking back as we traditionally do at his first Advent, his first arrival, that we would look forward <clears throat> to his second arrival, his second coming, his second Advent. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. In fact, the Bible has more to say about his second coming than it did in regards to his first coming. In fact, uh, I'll mention this later, but I'll just tell you now, for every verse that talks about Jesus coming as a child, as our Messiah, there are eight verses that talk about him coming again. And the difference between the two Advents or arrivals is this. In the first advent, Jesus came to us as a child. And he grew up, became the savior of the world. He saved us from our sins. All who would accept that and allow that. He becomes a savior. He saves us. In the second advent, he'll come not as a child, but as a king to judge. And we call that day the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is going to be the most significant day in our history. Nothing in the events, no historical event will ever match <coughs> to the significance of that day when he returns. And whether you're dead already or you're still alive, we will all experience it. Excuse me just a second. I'm going to take a drink. I'll turn away. For example, the earth and the heavens, as we know it today, will be destroyed. They'll be finished. It's kind of a major thing, isn't it? You'll probably notice that. <coughs> In Second Peter, I said your notes, the Bible talks about this. It says, but the day of the Lord <coughs> will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done and it will be laid bare. You know, in the newspaper business, um, the largest headline you can possibly use is called Second Coming Typeface. And it's given that name for a reason because when Jesus returns, that's the biggest news. (laughs) There'll be no bigger story in our history than when history comes to its end. <clears throat> the last time I'm told to use this was um, when World War II ended. And I think of an example of the San Francisco Chronicle. <coughs> you <coughs> use this word, <coughs> typeface, called peace. Took up half the page. So back to Second Peter, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth, and everything done will lay bare. And verses like this one and others in the Bible 
We call that prophecy. Biblical prophecy is simply God telling us in advance what is going to happen. And the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, is, has a lot to do with prophecy. And the word revelation comes from the Greek word apopolictus, which is where we get our word apopolis or apopolitic. And usually we use those words, when the news uses those words, they're talking about some big disaster or crisis or, but really the word, what it really means is this. Pulling back the curtain to unveil what is hidden. That's, that's the meaning of that word. It's like you have a picture with a veil and you pull back the veil and you can see the picture. And God in his mercy and love for us draws us back, draws back the curtain and allows us to have a glimpse of what's going to come tomorrow. So we can be ready today. <clears throat> when Glenda and I were in college, we would meet in the college chapel at the end of the day to do devotions together. And I told you this before, but October 4th, 1982, in the chapel, I read this passage to her from 2 Peter chapter 3, where it talks about the day of the Lord and how everything will be destroyed. <clears throat> History will end. Everything we know today will be gone. And after reading this passage, I turned to her and said, Glenda, would you marry me? <clears throat> Romantic. I know, I know that. I know a lot of wives are sitting out there going, I wish my husband would cuddle up to me and tell me how God's going to destroy the world someday. But the reason I chose to read this passage in that night when I was asked Linda to be my wife was because of what it says in verse next. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, here it is, what kind of people ought you to be? And the answer is you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. And here's God, knowing this is going to happen, this is a part of his plan, and he's gracious enough to allow us who would want to see and would be willing to see what's coming. What's going to happen tomorrow? And because we know what's happening tomorrow, he says, well, what kind of people should you be today? We should be holy people. So is everything going to be destroyed this way? What kind of people ought you to be today? You ought to be holy. I read this passage the night I was going to ask Glenda to be my wife because I wanted the theme of holiness to set the tone of our life together as husband and wife. Did we always get it right? Well, I did. Glenda, not so much, but <clears throat> I'm sick. She won't bother me. But holiness is our goal. It became our goal. And why should holiness be your goal and my goal today? Because number one in your notes, God commands it. God commands us to be holy. It says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back in your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. That is the antithesis, the opposite of holiness. 
going back to the way we used to live, to satisfy the things I think will satisfy me best. It says, you didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God chose you to be holy. He chose, chooses you and commands you to be holy because he's holy. <clears throat> you and I know that we cannot spend a day in this broken world without it trying to affect our minds and our hearts and trying to lure us back to life without God's standard being our standard for living. And we have an enemy who would love to help you with that. We want to help you get back and fall back into destructive patterns in your life. And that's why we need to be intentional today and abiding with Jesus today and daily. Because it doesn't take long, and I've seen this happen, where people become disoriented in the ways of God. It doesn't happen like this, but slowly, like a ship turning their half in, bad, in a horrible direction. So in 2 Peter 2.20, it says, people can be made free from evil in the world. Great news. We can be free from all of that stuff. How? <coughs> By knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But, 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 if they go back to those evil things and are controlled by them, that is worse for them than it was before. So don't go back. So the call and the command from God to be holy and to make holy choices in our life is possible. It's only possible because of Jesus. I can't do it. We cannot do it without him. There was a hymn growing up in the church that I grew up in, and maybe you'll recognize it too, called Called on the Holiness. It says, Called on the Holiness, Church of our God, Purchase of Jesus redeemed by his blood. Here it is. Called from the world and its idols to flee. That's the call of holiness. Call from the world and its idols to flee. Call from bondage of sin. What? To be free. Holiness under the Lord is our watchword in our song. <clears throat> holiness under the Lord as we're marching along. Sing it, shout it, loud and long. Holiness under the Lord now. That's it. Now and forever. The forever won't happen if it's not now. Holiness keeps us moving forward. It prepares us the today for the day when Jesus will return. And whether we're, we're dead at that time or we're alive when he comes back, we'll all see it. You and I will experience this. So what does it mean for us to be holy? Because I got confused in this growing up. I thought I was following these rules, dressing this way. I thought I had to be a monk or something. I didn't know. But it means as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be set apart from the world. Why? Because the world ends, by the way. God gives us a glimpse of that. The values will perish. And if you're living your life today, honestly, with something that matters most to you than Jesus, whatever that is, it's going to be gone. And you with it. And that's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.33, first of all, Look for the holy nation of God or seek his kingdom first. Be right with him. And all the other things that we kind of worry about and try to think, I got to do this or it won't happen. God will take care of that. But it needs to be first. It means we are always to think about the things that are important in the kingdom of heaven and live them here on earth. 
Always to do what God shows you what is right. And he'll take care of the things in your life that we worry about sometimes. So live a life of holiness as you living your life according to God's standards, not the world's, not yours. And God isn't saying you must be perfect in performance, but perfect in your love for him. That is, you have this purity of intention. John Wesley defined holiness by just quoting the Bible. He said it this way. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's, that's what it says in Deuteronomy. That's what it says in Mark. And I get that. And sometimes I'm going to fail at that and say, sorry, God, my intention was not to fail, not to sin, not to put something else first. Forgive me. He will forgive you. He looks at your heart and says, I see you. You mean this. Because my intention is always to honor him and put him first. Sometimes my performance doesn't follow through. And when I know it, I'm quick to repent. So even now as I'm speaking to you today, you may become aware in your life an area where you know that you are loving something else more than you love God. And really, you are seeking your kingdom, not his. And, and you're wanting to live according to your standards, not his. I can only speak for myself, but God, <laughs> he makes us so keenly aware to me when there are areas that need to be aligned his way. And not my way. So that I can know the life that he wants to give me which is a full life, abundant life, John 10, 10, and eternal life, John 3, 16. And he shows me these ways. I laugh because it's so, it's so, he just does it in such a loving way, but he doesn't do it to harm me or to shame me. He goes, Mark, we've got to talk about this or this attitude or this thing and, and because this is holding you back for what I want to give you. Do you trust me? I want to give you the best. Yes, God. Well, let's deal with this. Now, I know I'm the only one who struggles with that. <clears throat> but just in case, just in case you might too, stop and ask yourself, is there any area in my life right now which honestly, I'm choosing my life to, to love me first, to serve me first, to seek my kingdom first instead of God. Because if you trust God that he really does, I mean, he sent his son to die for you. He wants you to have life. You don't send your own son to die for people who are, don't deserve it if you don't love them. Don't want the best for them. And God will reveal areas in your life because if you allow God to do this, he wants to transform them. And transform the way you think about your life. Romans 12, 2 is, is holiness. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into the new person by changing the way you think. Then you're going to know God's will for you. We all want that. Which is good, by the way, and pleasing and perfect. So why should holiness be a goal today? First of all, <coughs> God commands it. Secondly, the Bible tells us we are to strive for holiness, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
The Bible's clear, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Well, I want to see the Lord. I want to see him. I, 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 want to, I want to be in heaven and know that I'm good with him because of Jesus Christ in me. And I chose my life to love him with everything I have and to trust him even when I didn't get it. So motivated by this knowledge that without holiness, no one will see the Lord, we, we continue to seek his kingdom, living our life, adjusting our life to his standards, not our own, to love him most, not in part, but with every part of me. So just these facts alone, God commands us to be holy and chooses us to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord should cause us and motivate us to strive to live holy lives. And we can't do it alone. I think that's what, why we, we let the enemy go, yeah, you can't do this, by the way. I mean, other people can do this, but you can't do this. And he's right, but with Jesus in us, we can with the filling of the Holy Spirit, we can. You know, it's kind of like you have a, a, a beautiful new car and you see the potential of this car to take you places that you want to go, but there's no fuel in the tank. That's kind of like living a life without the Holy Spirit. You, you, have, you see the potential that you, you read about it. God tells me this is what can happen, but because he's not living in me, I'm not filled with him, I don't have the, his energy in me, directing me and encouraging me and disciplining me. I can't move anywhere. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be lovers, not of ourselves, not to live according to my standards, to make his ways fit into my ways. His philosophy, my philosophy is to let him just to what I want to do but rather we set ourselves apart for his kingdom and his purposes, believing and trusting that's the best and only way I can live. Then I'll see him and enjoy him forever. The truth is most people you'll encounter this week will not want to live that way. They will not define their life as a life that seeks to honor God above all else. And they're nice people, and, but they're setting the standards instead of allowing God set the standards. But the Bible says in 1 Peter, you're not like that. Why? Because you are chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. That is, you are set apart for him. You're God's own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. He called you out of the darkness into his wonderful life. So why am I beginning to talk about holiness in a series which is to focus on Jesus' second coming. 
It's because I fear sometimes with some Christians that they appear more concerned about being right when it comes to the unfolding of the end times things than they are about being ready for the unfolding of the end times. And I find that it's easy to be more heavy on our philosophy and light on practice. And I want to confess to you this morning, I haven't focused a lot on end-time messages in my ministry, and I just I found it frustrating when Christians would argue over who and when all this is going to happen when all around them people are being lo- are lost to eternity. And when I see people becoming more dogmatic in their end-time theology, that they become docile in their devotion to obeying God's standards. And I didn't want to be like that. How people seem to want to be professors of the end times and professors of the perplexities but fail to be practitioners in the presence regarding the standards of God. And I just felt that people are more passionate about being right regarding what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and what's going to happen than they are about being ready for it. So I've always focused on preaching messages with emphasize being ready and helping people to be ready instead of trying to be right in terms of this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen, this is how it's... But I recently changed my mind on that. That's called repentance after confession. It has a lot to do with my church renewal teaching, and that's why I, you, know, you allow people to speak into your life. And I changed my thinking on this for a couple of reasons. Why are we looking at this series during this Christmas season? Number one, not to talk about prophecy would mean not talking about a large portion of the Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about end times. Nearly every book in the Bible contains a prophecy, the unfolding, the pulling back of the curtain, but what's to come? One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament contains prophecy. 23 out of the 27 books in the New Testament mention the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself referred to his own return 21 times. I mentioned this at the very beginning. For every verse that talks about Jesus coming at Christmas, there are eight talking about when he's coming again in the second advent. There are nearly, depends on how you, who you count, 300, 333, 351 prophecies concerning Christ. Only 109 have been fulfilled at his first coming, the first advent, leaving 224 prophecies yet to be fulfilled. So not to talk about that, to ignore that, would be leaving out a big portion of the Bible and the message of God. The second reason I want to have us look at end times is because I realize by focusing and being aware of the end time prophecies might help and convince others to be ready for it. That's my goal. Be ready today. There are 350, 333 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled regarding his first coming. Prophecies like born of a virgin, Isaiah, born in line of David with both Mary and 
Joseph were part of. Born in Bethlehem, it says in Micah. Jesus would die for our sins in Isaiah. Jesus was the Passover lamb in different passages. And there's just hundreds of these. And he fulfills every one of them. And the thought is this. If the Bible's correct about Jesus' first coming, <coughs> we can feel pretty good and assured it'll be correct about his second coming, the day of the Lord. And so we need to be ready. <clears throat> so when we begin to look at the Bible and the prophecies about what is to come, and we will be doing that starting next week. Since it was 100% accurate the first time regarding Jesus, we have every reason to think it will bat a thousand the second time. So we need to be ready. We need to know it. And keeping that in mind, the third reason is because God commands us to watch for His coming. You can't watch for something you don't know or not aware of. So we, we are called to be ready to be experiencing Jesus to come back at any time. And the Bible says that many times how we're to be watching, not to be caught off guard. I, I use a lot of scripture in my messages on purpose because I want to make sure I'm, I'm conveying what God is saying and not just what man is saying. I know it might be a lot sometimes. I just want you to understand these are God's thoughts. And the Bible has a lot to say about us watching today for Jesus' return. Revelation 16, 15, it's Jesus. Look, I will come as, in, as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And the Bible here talks about, and not just here about him coming as a thief, which means I'm not going to tell you ahead of time. I'm not announcing on this day I'm going to come because a thief says I'm breaking in your home, not that Jesus wants to break in your home, but he says I'm going to come and show up at this time. We're ready for him. As Christians, we need to always be ready because we don't know. He's not going to tell us ahead of time. No one knows. So we need to be watching because he will return when we least expect it. The word of God here tells us there will also be a blessing for us as watching. Why? Because those who are watching, who are ready for his return, will be ready, anticipating it, prepared, and others will be caught off guard. You're going to be blessed because, look, I was looking for this, I'm expecting this, I'm ready for this, and someone's going to turn and go, I didn't know about this. And imagine the horror of those who that day will be caught off guard, especially those who knew he would be coming back and chose not to prepare. We are to be ready. Jesus tells us in Matthew 13, because no one knows, however, when that day or hour will come. Neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father knows. So what are you going to do? Be on watch. Alert for you don't know. And I wonder if that describes you today. Would you, could it be said of you and that you are living a life of watching and expecting Jesus to return even in this moment? 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, Keep awake. Do not sleep as others are sleeping. Watch and keep your minds awake <coughs> to what's happening. Even at the first Christmas, watch was a very important part of, of, of 
expecting Jesus to come. We, we read in Matthew 2, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the time when Herod was king. Soon afterward, some men who studied the stars, like they're watching, came from the east and asked, where's the baby to be born, king of the Jews? We saw his star when he came up in the east and we come to worship him. And this is the message. Because they were watching, they saw. Because they're watching, they saw. And when Jesus returns, when you, because you're watching, you're going to see it and be prepared for it. And you're going to worship him as this wise man did the very first time. Even in the passage that Manu read for us, the, the shepherds were watching their flocks. And we are to watch one another. First Peter 4, 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. The Bible just keeps saying over and over again, people, while you can, while you're here, watch. Be praying. Because when you're in the state of watching, your mind remains on God. Because we can be distracted, can't we, with so many other things? But when we're watching, it's okay, God, I'm looking for you every day. I'm focused on you. So when we look at the end times in this very short series, the importance is not so much on what will happen and when it will happen. And the purpose of prophecy, the purpose of God pulling back the veil and giving us a glimpse of what is to come is not so much really about the future as much it is about how you're living today. The future is going to happen. The Bible gives us glimpses of that. We'll talk about that. Jesus will return. It's going to affect everyone. The question is, are you ready for it today? That's what I really care about. Are you prepared today for what will come tomorrow? For 1 Thessalonians says, For you know quite well the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Watch today. Pray today. Be ready today. When tomorrow comes, you will be blessed. I was looking for this. I'm ready for this. We have the, the Bible today. And we have prophecy today. So that we can be rooted in the present. And not be distracted by the future. Be aware of it. Know the signs. But don't be so distracted by it. You're not ready Today, So in this series, we will continue next week. We'll talk about the what will happen. The Bible gives us some cool curtain-pulling-back events of what will happen. We'll even look at theories of when and how they'll unfold. But today, I just want to make sure and begin with the why. Because all of this we're going to talk about is that you're ready today. What does it matter if you're, you're let's say you're the one that was right we weren't ready. So watch. The purpose of prophecy, the purpose of God pulling back the veil and giving us a glimpse of what is to come is not so much about the future. It's about how you're living today. So we're going to close. I'm going to simply ask today, if you are not ready and you want to be ready, this is an invitation. It's all it is, but it's everything. 
Because as I'm speaking, as you're hearing these scriptures being read and hearing about what's coming, you realize I am not ready today. And I want to be ready. And so we're going to pray today that you'd be ready. If you mean it from here, let's pray it. Let's mean it. So you can leave here today knowing, okay, I'm watching. I'm expecting. I'm ready for this. Not because who I am, but Jesus in me. So that's what we're asking for. Jesus, forgive me for living by my own standards, by my own rules. Forgive me for the ways that I have fallen short and disappointed. Not, well, I mean, I've sinned. Let's just call it for what it is. Forgive me. I repent. And the Bible says he'd be faithful to do that. He wants to do that for you. But you got to ask. So I'm going to give you an invitation to ask. So let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. And I want to pray. And just before I pray, if you want to make that prayer today, could you just lift up your hand so I can see and know is this something you want to do? Thank you. Father, we... We don't want to be caught off guard. I know I don't. And I know, Father, your goal isn't to shame us or to belittle us, but God, to prepare us for what you have in store. And forgive us when we make this world our home, because it isn't, it can't be, and it won't be. So Lord, just as you do with me, if there's anything in our lives that distracts us, attitudes, sins, focus, distracts us from living a holy life, that we confess it now. We'll even name it to you, God, in this silent prayer. We're going to name it. And Father, you already knew about that. And Lord, I would ask that you hear our call for that we want to seek change. We want you to transform us, renew our mind. What only you can do. Father, that day is going to come. We won't be talking about it anymore because it's going to become the past. <clears throat> Father, I want to be ready. And I can be ready with your Lord Christ living in my life. So thank you for that gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for being so patient today. You know, the coughing and stuff. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.